Hi, this is Leah. And this is Channing. And you've reached Vessel, Art is a Doorway. Welcome to episode 25. Hi, welcome. We're really glad for you to be with us here today. We have a really amazing interview coming from London with Kelly Fontana. Yeah, I cannot believe, Leah, when, when we think about it. This is episode 25. Can you imagine that? No. And as Leah mentioned, we get the pleasure today to actually have an interview with Kelly Fontana. Kelly is the founder and art curator of Fount Art. Fount Art is an independent art and design collective. So in this interview, we get a chance to speak to Kelly on her background with working at museums and art galleries all over the world and how it's had an impact on her business. So now let's listen into this interview with Kelly Fontana. Audience, we have the pleasure of having Kelly Fontana with us. This is awesome. It's a magnificent time that we're having here. Um, just before we hit the record button, I, I felt as though I should have hit it a little bit earlier because you're going to be blown away when you hear some of the things that Kelly has to say. Kelly is the founder and art curator of Fount Art. Um, and if you don't know about her, now you know. And you will learn a little bit about her interaction with art, um, how she helps artists, and the, the impact that art can have on someone. Kelly, welcome to the show. Thank you. That was the coolest introduction I think I've ever had from anyone ever. So I really respect that. Thank you. <laughs> hey, guys. So, 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 so Kelly uh, told us earlier that this is one of her first podcasts, and I don't think this is going to be one of her last. And uh, if I can help out with that, I will make that happen. <laughs> but Kelly, we're, we're really happy uh, to have you uh, with us. We know right now we're California time. This is around 11 o'clock a.m. our time, but you're in a different uh, hemisphere of the world. I believe you're in London, right? I am, yeah, and it is 7.17 p.m. So like I said, already glass in, of wine in hand and uh, sun already setting, but pretty used to the fact that you deal with all these different time zones because, you know, come from the States and my brother lives out in California, so I'm used to it, but it's definitely, you never really fully used to it. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Awesome. And she has a beautiful little candle burning uh, uh, romantically beside <laughs> her. So. <laughs> I told them all this before we started recording. I'm like, I lit a candle for you guys. And the fact that you just gave it a shout out. <laughs> well, Kelly, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Could you tell us a little bit about your background? Definitely. Um, so really growing up, I come from, I'm from Miami, Florida originally. And uh, I come from that very, I think, typical kind of American family upbringing where your parents come from that real working class, real American dream ge uh, generation of uh of people where, you know, my dad came from a very small town in Pennsylvania, coal mined right outside of Pittsburgh. And my mom came from a very small town in central Florida, uh, both parents being in the uh, in the war. Mom was a nurse and dad was a chef who, you know, he was in battle, lost both his legs, that kind of thing. So realistically, I didn't come from a means where we had a very sophisticated upbringing in any sense of the term. However, my mom's side of the family, she was one of three um, sisters. And 
though my mom herself was, wasn't an artist, her youngest sister was, and she used to do just really crazy off the wall, mixed media art. When I was so young, like I had no idea, you know, what art was formally or what you would consider art. But I had this crazy aunt who would just be like, let's go smash a mirror in the backyard. And then we're going to just tape it to a piece of cardboard and then we're going to paint over it and just see what it looks like. And I just thought it was the most awesome thing in the world. And then the older sister actually was, um, she was a doctor who used to be a horticulturist. So she would be living in the Amazon for years and years at a time and be out there to find different medicines through different uh plant species, things like that. But at the same time, she used to collect uh, indigenous stones to every area that she went and traveled. And then from that, she became a jewelry designer. And that was something else she really taught me. And she taught me things that you just never really would connect with jewelry, like, you know, really understanding the feel of a stone and what it looks like from the inside. And because I was taught that way of thinking so young, it 100% set the pace for me growing up and understanding art on a very spiritual level on a very emotional level and just knowing what you know creating yourself felt like and uh and yeah I went to college I was an art student I was told I wasn't that good at art from a teacher that I was uh that was um yeah one of my teachers in a foundations class and so I dropped out but then it made me uh, lead my way into the business side of art. And then I got into the galleries. And so then for the last nine years, that's what I've really been doing. I've been working in galleries, museums, started in the States. Uh, I'm Italian. So then I actually connected over to Italy and went back there and lived there for a couple of years and worked in museums there. I uh, decided to get my MA and I did my MA in art gallery museum management in Manchester, England, which is the north of England, and then moved here to London and now to present day have been running my own uh, gallery and design collective, which is found, found art. And that's what I've been doing to this day. That was really hard to do to find, to be completely honest, to tie it all in from, <laughs> from, you know, from childhood all the way. I think I did okay. Yeah, Hopefully yeah, yeah. You try to get that done in a couple of minutes, but Oof. you know, that, that really uh, gives us a better understanding of where you're coming from, because as we've noticed, you don't have a London accent. <laughs> you're oh. a Miami girl. You're a Miami girl. Yeah. But, uh, Unapologetically no, no, no. so. Yeah. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. Just understand, you know, you working in museums and galleries, what, what, what do you prefer? Do you prefer the museum or do you prefer the yeah. gallery environment? I, so, I mean, I think it's incredible. Like a, a gallery, you can, what I love about a gallery is you have so many artists that you meet constantly, you know, like, cause you're obviously constantly looking for new work and new exhibitions to put on display. So you really do meet so many different people and that I love the social aspect of the galleries, but my dad's a history teacher, was a history teacher his whole life, now retired. But so for me, I really clung to the art history side of things. And so for me, I loved the historical components of a museum. I loved learning, you know, about every different kind of influential period of, of, of art and of architecture and of design and things like that. And so for me, I think I like the history that museum imbues the educational institution side of it but then at the same time I really enjoy uh the many different characters and creatures that you meet in the gallery circuits as well mm -hmm. so I think both together have their own uh yeah assets and strength but I do I think museums would be the one I prefer for sure oh that's cool that's cool you know yeah. because 
the, the reason why I ask is, you know, some people in the art field, they have different takes on how they feel about art. Um, for instance, we, we, we talked to a gentleman recently and he's heavy into the art world. But when we start talking about, you know, how emotions and feelings and stuff like that are involved when it comes to art, he didn't want to talk about that. He just wanted to talk about the business of right. art. And, there, and, you know, there is that side mm-hmm. of the art world. But, um, you know, in this podcast, we like to focus in on how art affects people, you know. But so so what would you say? What are one or two art pieces that you love living with yeah to be honest it's always it's always like the same thing when someone asks you like who your favorite artist is or like you know like what's your favorite exact something like that like what's the your favorite piece of work in your home and for me it's it's such a difficult question to answer simply because I think we connect here between you and I on that level of which art really is a very emotional, very intimate exchange. Like it's one of those things where I have art in my home because I don't just connect with that physical piece. It's not something where I look at that artwork and I'm just like, damn, that looks so good right there. And I'm going to keep that hung on my wall because it's just, you know, anyone who walks in is just going to love it. It's because for me, I invested in that particular artwork because of the story behind that work. And when I say that, I don't mean it as in like, why it was created like because of course as I think everyone can understand art is subjective you know it is opinionated it's not supposed to have a set you know understanding or or particular like message of what it is what I connect with most is why the artist created that work and that's what I personally I think is the whole reason why I've even started Fount was because I really got to know artists on a very very personal level and understood why they created that art on that particular day because what they were going through at that time in their life and they share all of this real vulnerable and very open candid courageous side of them that they say like you know yeah I painted this artwork because I was in the hospital during that time and I was going through a really hard time and I had to find a way to release that and for me I think when people ask, I guess, if my favorite art piece is, it would come from a certain artist and his name is Charles Simmons. And it's an artist I work quite closely with. And he's based in Berlin and he's gone through some heavy times in the past few years. And I just find it so admirable that he created art during these really tumultuous periods of his life, because that's how he showed that pain. And, you know, like that, that he got through really difficult periods of time because he was able to translate it onto canvas and he, I'm very lucky to have worked so closely with him that I own a couple of those works and they're not you know the really cute decorative floral kind of fun pieces they are deep and there's a lot of you know layers to it but I think for me that is a huge reason why I personally would have really loved art pieces in my house and it's because of where it came from and why it was created. And that I think is is just so important. And it's such a story to share to others. And that is why I sort of have found what we do, you know? So how did you come to go into, come to be an interior designer as well? So the interior design part of it is, and I'm going to be completely honest, is a relatively new venture that comes from all of us. I think it's because I started with the art background worked in the museums, in the galleries. And then when I actually came down to London and um, even though Fount like as a gallery itself has done well, she's doing well 
Currently, I, I knew I wanted to learn more about design as a whole. I find the entire space, you know, the soul of a space, a place that you enter into and you feel good in and you can admire from the out from external to internal, you know? And so then I got into architecture and been working in architecture now for about three years because for me, that was a very interesting intersection between art and design. It gave you that, I, you know, like it just brings in the science, the mathematics, the engineering side of things. But then I would say that perfect middle ground between art and architecture is the interior design side. And that is when you enter into a space and you want to create an emotive space and you want it to be a place that you cherish, a place that you really put time into. And that is where, yeah, the love for interior design started. And I am now, because of that, I think because I start to share that sort of message, um, I'm getting reached out to and, and starting to do interior design projects, though only relatively new, about the last year. But I've been working both in London and Miami with a couple of clients and it's awesome. It's really cool to yeah, create an entire space for somebody. Yeah, love that. So now your architect, w- w- would you describe yourself as an architect as well? No, not at all. <laughs> if, if it did, you want to know something. And it's like so funny because most people think they're like, wow, like, you know, you work in architecture, you must be an architect. But no one even, I don't think many people know that actually an architect degree, architecture degree is as much uh, time commitment and money <laughs> as you would put towards a law degree or um, medical degree. It's about eight years of school, of higher education you have to go to, and then a couple years of study out or um, work placement outside of that, go back to school. And then you start at the very bottom of the barrel about like mid twenties, um, if you were right on track with it. So no, <laughs> I did not put in that commitment. So I actually work as a project coordinator where you are someone who is, it's like the support role, but at the same time, you're very involved with everything going on like really at the studio I work at right now I mean I would say I have about 14 live projects that I help with all aspects of you know reports and and administrative tasks but at the same time you're really in the trenches with the design team as well trying to problem solve and trying to come up with new ideas and get you know just keep the ball rolling so it's a way that it's sort of like this outside looking in role where you can really admire the role of an architect but you don't have to put in the hellish hours and you can just, you know, you're on the sidelines cheering them on kind of thing. (laughs) Really cool. Excellent. Now, do you still have, at times, do you still get to make any art or do you kind of feel that need for creativity through your curation and your interior interior design or architectural design work? I really like to ask that question because I had an artist that I was working with yesterday, actually, who asked me that. He's been, he's, you know, he's someone who I've known since, uh, since college and since my undergrad, and we both did art school together. And he's like, are, are you still creating? Are you doing that? And I, and at the moment in time, I'm not. And I, that's just the totally honest answer. And I think it's because, for me, my creative outlet is really working with these artists in a way in which I'm helping to working on their direction. We're working on what they're current projects are what their future projects going to be and and because that you know they come to me for so much they want to know like what do you think about this series and in comparison to that what if I did this like totally off the wall different kind of avenue like would you think it could work like and when you work with an artist on that kind of level that really like intuitive very ingenuitive kind of like um 
thought process, it takes a lot out of you. It's not, I don't really have left in me like to now be like, let me go home and make my own art. I think I really try and give all of my sort of creative direction and creative ideas and things to the artists that I work with, because I know that they're looking for that second opinion. They're trying to navigate their own practice. And that to me is just as fulfilling though, as it would be if I made my own art realistically. Yeah. Yeah. So now, now, now you jumped on font art in textiles tell us a little bit about it um, yeah what was the inspiration in starting that up so I started uh it's been now in the works I'd say for four years but I think really like on the ball rolling and and working towards it for the last three and it's because basically I wanted to create my own you know my own presence in which I knew so many talented artists and I knew also in parallel, a lot of talented designers, like designers who made, you know, ceramics, like potters and different people who created textile products. So like they knew how to make fabric, you know, based objects by hand. And and because I started to meet so many different people with so many different uh, creative backgrounds, I felt as though I needed to create that community where they all coexisted together. And at that time, you know, online galleries were really taking off. I think people were really starting to understand that we could, like, could create this curated, specialized space online and connect with people digitally, internationally, and things like that. But no one was really doing it on a level where art and design could coexist. And, you know, that they didn't have to be mutually exclusive. They didn't have to be two separate entities that, for whatever reason, realistically in the art world itself it's like they really see design or craft or anything as such like a naughty word or like you know like it's just such a taboo to them that it's not really art or anything like that when you really actually see their creative process and it very much so is and if anything it's really cool functional art that you can engage with and you can interact with and because of that I felt like I needed to create a space where we could delve deeper into that intersectionality, you know, like really actually understand how visual art and functional design work together and show them together and exhibit them together and see that again, like then it just ties into that whole idea of that overall concept of design and how really when you walk into a space, art doesn't have to just be a canvas on the wall, you know, it's completely surrounded. Uh, yeah. So yeah, and I, so that's why I started with Fount and then it really was to be able to be a, uh, an advocate for the artist, give them a space where I could help promote their work, exhibit it, but also like help them within their own respective creative journeys, but then also then have a unified platform where we're going to sell it and really, you know, push it to an audience that would really appreciate it. So yeah, I've been doing that now for about four years. Do you yeah. find that your experience working in the gallery or working in a museum is helping how you create that experience for your clients? Absolutely. And I, and I, I definitely think because you touch base on museum 100%, because I mean, in, in traditionally known, everyone knows a gallery, you go into it, it's because you're going to go into this sort of four white wall sort of atmosphere and you're going to look at this artwork and you're going to be told to really like dissect that work and, you know, understand what you want to understand. But like, here's also this really pricey, you know, you know, list that tells you how much it costs and and what it's worth and what you're supposed to be seeing and for me I, it kind of creates a really fabricated way of looking at art whereas a museum is about the story you know like the history of it like why it was created during this time and how it's influential because of its maker you know 
they really, I think a museum really delves deeper into the psyche of an artist and, and explains that background information that really does then create a much more emotional and much more intimate connection between the viewer and the work. And so I think for me, especially with, um, especially with Fao, is that I wanted it to be centered on storytelling. So I really actually push all my artists that for every single artwork that we put on the website or on social media or in physical exhibition, I want a full paragraph detail of what you were feeling that day. Like what was that inspired you to make that work? Why'd you choose that color? Like what was that composition for? Because then a viewer can read it and yeah, you can have your whole own opinion of that work but you understand why that artist made it. And that to me is such a powerful connection that goes so much further past than that white wall, you know, aesthetic and that big ominous, you know, kind of intimidating artwork in front of you. And you have to sort of come up with your own like feeling and you're like, oh, don't even understand art. Am I even thinking the right thing right now? Whereas I really think when you gauge and connect um, an artist's whole, you know, objective behind their work I think that allows you to really really personally connect with the work much deeper can you think of one or two clients that you've worked with and maybe either something they've said to you or a reaction they've had that really helped you to that really I guess is a good example of how they're affected by mm. some of the work that you've done for them is that mm. a question yeah. yeah it is that's a very very difficult question but you know it's funny that I, I actually have two and I guess it will work perfectly because I have a really good one and a really bad one. <laughs> <I'll do it. laughs> but I once had a client that I was working with. Uh, he was a nice man. He meant well, I'm sure. But I think for me, like how I can tell the way I'm coming off and how I'm talking about art now, I obviously have a very, uh, you have that very just, you know, introspective and, and true emotional connection to it. Whereas he really just wanted the aesthetic of wanting to make his home look really cool with these works. And I brought him a few pieces that I thought, you know, really connected with uh, his vibe and his aesthetic. But I really started telling him like, you know, the, the story behind it. Like how I said, like, it's just something that's so important to me to share why this work exists, you know? And after I did, he's like, you know, I liked the work before he started speaking. He's like, now that I know, he's like, they kind of suck. I'm like, okay, there's nothing else I could do. Like, I mean, you have someone who tells you, like, you put your whole heart and soul into something. And then you have someone tells you it sucks. It was, <laughs> I really held back the tears. I had to be super cool about it. I'm like, no, that's absolutely fine. Like, had to accept it for what it was, brush it off the shoulder, move on. Um, so that's the really bad one and was awful, awful, probably one of the worst days of my life. And then a really good one, though, is that one thing I really do try to do is not just nurture community, but I really believe in community outreach. I think that's been a very important aspect for me from day one as well, because I think everyone knows like the art world and design world, interior architecture is just very notoriously known for being very exclusive, very pretentious, very one side, you know, like it's just you either know someone in there or you have a ton of money. And if not, really do you have a place that's how they make you feel you know so I try really to connect with communities who don't get to access art and design on a regular basis so here we work with um I work with a few retirement communities because the older generation you know they're spending time with each other and they are actually such incredibly creative people like they love to dance and sing and express themselves they really tune in to self-expression 
And for me, I just found that really wildly inspiring. So I went and uh, we, I connected with the retirement community here in London and I brought canvases and I brought artworks and we all just had a day of painting. And I asked them all to just like paint whatever you want. And this one guy, he painted the woman that he just absolutely adored at the, at the retirement center, like just painted her and it was the most beautiful portrayal and like gave it to her afterwards. And I mean, that alone was just, it just sort of told you, you know, like it just shows you the power and that true, the love that you can really evoke from, um, from creating from the heart. So like that was one of the most incredible experiences. So going from the absolute worst to one of the most, yeah, beautiful experiences for sure. So how, how does your studio's unique problem solving approach uh, lead to improving the life quality of life for your clients? Yeah, I think it sort of touched base on like what I just said, like in a way that I really hate the idea that the art world to so, feels inaccessible to so many people. You know, it really sucks that people feel intimidated walking into a space, into a gallery or even museum because they just feel as though they don't have the proper education or the proper background. Therefore, like they don't belong there and they can't understand or share their opinion on it. And for me, I just more than anything want to break down those barriers because like I said, from the very beginning, like I come from, you know, my family came from nothing and like, and we never were taught to like not welcome somebody into, you know, a, a conversation or have a seat at that table. And so for me, I believe that Fount's unique problem-solving approach is to make sure there is a seat at the table for absolutely anyone, anyone who wants to learn. It's, there's no such thing as a stupid question. There's no such thing as an exhaustion of exploration. Like I want you to think and ask and feel, even if you think it's like totally off the wall. And I share that ethos wholeheartedly with my clients. Like anyone who comes to me, they always say, they all say the same thing. I don't understand art. Like, I'm a bit intimidated by art because like, aren't you supposed to be like an art world person to get art? And it's like, there's nothing to get, you know, like, yeah, there's plenty of people who are selling in these international fairs and blue chip galleries that make you feel like there is, but there isn't like, if anything, they're making it because they're businessmen and they know they're going to make a hell of a ton of money from it. But realistically, if you are someone who finds interest in your own expression and your and your lifestyle and you want to create a conscious space and fill it with things that are made from people who put their whole heart into it that alone to me is enough that is what art is personally like that's why I do it like I do it because I want to really unveil all and let you know that you can you know ask questions and you can look at something and you can have an entirely different opinion on it to the next person if you love it and it makes you happy and it's something that you connect with personally then it belongs in your life you know and so do you have a physical space that you take your clients to or do you is it more just virtual and you make appointments with them so i live in a um we call them flats in london and uh it is a four bedroom flat with four girls one bathroom one kitchen and no living space i live in the living room so that's why I have like a really beautiful Victorian. <laughs> it just looks obnoxious. Like you're in my bedroom right now, but I have this like really grandier kind of uh, fireplace behind me. But actually what I choose to do is I don't really, um, I 
don't, I, of course, started an online gallery and therefore you have to experience art virtually, but I also completely believe in the idea that art is a very tactile, very physical and uh, kind of experience. So what I mainly do is I bring the client straight to the artist studio. So usually if it can be done, if it is a London buyer, since I am based in London, there are quite a lot of London buyers. And luckily I do have a growing community of London artists here. And I bring them right there and then they can just be surrounded by the work that they're interested in, as well as the person who makes it, you know, whose bed is usually in the corner. And, you know, like they have, it's just like the most wild kind of space. And that's, again, that demystification. Like, I don't feel like I need to create a very like showroom and like, here we are with the art and my white gloves. Like, no, I want you to actually see where it comes from, how it's created and who creates it. And that to me is also something I really try and strive for. And then if not, it is virtual, but I will still go to the artist studio and connect with the client virtually and give them a whole tour of the, the artist studio with the artists that they can meet as well. Yeah, I love that. And you know, one of the things I really appreciated when I got a chance to go to your website and also your Instagram um, is that you deal with a, a wide range of different artists. I really appreciated the fact that you worked with a lot of female artists because you know, for some reason, female artists aren't really given the enough respect in mm-hmm. the art community, you know, and I, you know, I, I don't want to get into on this podcast, we don't we don't talk about politics and, yeah, yeah. and all that stuff, you know, but, no, but 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 you know, I, you, you know, how do you get into selecting some of the artists that you work with? It is a very intrinsic sort of like experience in which I will find an artist digitally by word of mouth someone connected me by email I had a friend say this person is awesome and I'll go and I'll look at that work and if I really can feel their presence within that work like I know that they're not one doing it for Instagram likes or that they're you know like just creating for the hell of it because they just you know, want to, and they know that it'll like, you know, create clout or anything like that. It's when I really, and they're rare to come by, very rare, but quite often I actually find a lot of female artists easier than I do male artists because you can see what effort and, and sort of almost like the, the imperfect struggle behind a female artist. They present everything on their platforms. Like they show their families and their struggle and the fact that they're working three jobs. And like, I, it's such immediate respect and connectivity with them because you can't help but admire the fact that they can spend that many plates while creating really substantial work that they don't know if that is ever going to be discovered or, you know, they're not, they don't know if they're ever going to be represented or anything like that, but they're doing it for the sake of it. And I don't hate all male artists at all. I, I represent plenty of them as well. And I try and actually now even it out a bit more because I think there's quite a lot of contemporary art platforms that really do you know, center around female artists, which I totally respect, and I'm 100% one of them. But I also believe that we can't, you know, cut out a whole genre of present male artists either, just because we're trying to catch up for everything we, you know, messed up in the past. So it's just one of those things that for me, I tend to connect to them, either because they reached out to me, or a friend connected us, or again, I just found them on Instagram, but they still share so much. They share so much of their lives and their message as well as their art. And that makes it very easy to just be like, you know, 
you, you're just drawn to them. And then you just feel as though you need to be a vehicle for them to help get their work out there because you really respect what they're putting into it and what they're sacrificing and what they're doing to make it happen, you know? And so when it comes to your approach going, moving into more of your design approach, how do you begin that process? Do you think about the people in the space? Is it a more intuitive or formula that you go on? It always comes down to the person and what they want out of that space. It's a very conscious process. Like it's the fact that if you just think about putting your own self into those shoes, like you want to go in, you want to recreate the space around you that you see as really a sanctuary and and a space that you cherish and that you want. But what is it that you want out of it? Do you want it to feel energized when you walk into it? Do you want to feel, you know, at peace? Do you want to feel like it's social? And from that, it's for me, it's the emotional sort of ambition that you want for a space. And from that, you build everything around it. Like, it's like, I want this to be a space that feels happy and open. And I'm going to invite many of my loved ones into it. And because of that, it's like, great, then let's, build it off of your favorite colors. Let's build it off of your favorite kind of textures. And you bring everything that you love into one space. Like that's my biggest thing. I think so much, I, there's just quite a lot of ambiguity to design where people think like, I don't know, they need to keep up with the trend or they need to look like this certain way so that they look like they're a bit, you know, their culture and they know what they're thinking of, but I've never been that way. And I think it's because I was raised in a home that was not perfect and not based around art and design, but based around love and based around happiness and feeling so good when you walk into it. And that will always be for me, the precipice of design and, and the start of the process for sure. Yeah, because, you know, a lot of people, they take that for granted. Curators, art professionals like yourself, they don't just randomly select a bunch of objects or paintings or sculpture and just throw them all just randomly in a box, right? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you know, there, there's some conscientious effort there. Mm-hmm. So, you, you know, we're, we're creating an environment for people to enter into and you cannot quantify that mm-hmm. um, because if they enter into a space and if they see random objects, well, that really prevents them from actually acquiring certain pieces. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. And you know, like, I think too, and that's why, again, it goes with that extension from art into design and why they really do coexist and why they really are a very, there's such a strong synergy between the two because you can walk into a room and yeah, a really gravitating artwork just grabs your eye and you're looking right at it and you're like, wow. But at the same time, there could be an entirely bespoke handmade dining table with a fully handmade vase that's holding this beautiful set of like you know like your favorite flowers and like each piece was made by an artist by a craftsman someone who put so much time and so much of their energy and and passion into it and when you put many of those pieces together in one place it really can create such a magical and such a unique space that really can be entirely yours. But at the same time, you're supporting so many different people's livelihoods and practices as well. And that's why I always say like, it's not just about the art on the walls. It's about what any person can make with their hands and what they devote their creative practice to. If you can invest in it and you can appreciate it just how you do with the clothes on your back, just how you do with the food that you eat and the makeup that you wear and the things that you do, like to be able to, 
invest into someone's livelihood across the boards and then share it in a space that really allows to basically create a very incredible ecosystem of, you know, less art and design and, and all these wonderful things. I think that's just, you know, the coolest thing you could possibly do. <laughs> Yeah, awesome. I highly encourage it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so now, what what are some of the types of people? Uh, I would say maybe like their background. Mm. Uh, what are some of the types of people? Goodness, my words cannot come out of my mouth <laughs> for some reason. How about that? Me every That's day, don't worry. Yeah, <laughs> that was awesome. But, uh, what, what are the types of people that you design for? Mm. Yeah, they are very much so. And it's a word that I use. Um, I mean, it's not like to like pinpoint them or anything, I, but I do mention it in the website that it's like people who are lifestyle enthusiasts because realistically it's, it's someone who is very acutely aware of how they present themselves, how they present their space and their own, you know, personality and opinions and things like that. And not in a way that it's fabricated or fake or, you know, like overly curated, but it's just someone who really does take the time to understand what they love and like, and want to surround themselves by it. They're actually really interesting, wonderful people because it's, it's just really inspiring. Like, it's really cool to be around someone who knows themselves so well that they know, you know, how they want to feel when they walk into a room they know how they want what kind of conversation they want to have with their friends when they come over they know how they just want to emotionally connect with things that they love and with that a lot of the people that I do sell to which is great they are kind of like me in the way that they want to know more than just oh that's a great artwork how much does that cost it's like who made it where'd they come from what's their story like and they and because of that that then really accentuates their whole sort of purchase patterns because they are definitely emotionally involved and emotionally connected to how and who they you know purchase and put in their space yeah, yeah selfishly i want to talk about something yeah yeah um <laughs> because uh several months ago we had a guest on um his name was uh joseph Moores moorsman and he curated a show with uh, how many? There were over like maybe 120 different female artists. And in no way am I biased for female artists. Hey, look, I'm a I'm a male artist myself. <laughs> but I, I found that really interesting um, in that interview because he mentioned how over the past hundred years he gathered artwork from artists from over the past hundred years, female artists that were not, they had not been given a narrative, you know, mm -hmm. or an opportunity to actually display their artwork. Maybe their husbands were politicians, celebrities, mm -hmm. and they basically got outshined. Mm -hmm. um, so in that show, Joseph, he, he talked about how he basically displayed all of these images and these paintings of work and people would come to the show and they would say, are you sure that these are female artists. You know, it was funny because actually even ladies would come up to him and say, no, 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 no. This couldn't be a female artist who created something as, as beautiful as this, right? Yeah. You know, so, you know, I, you know I, I really enjoyed how, you know, you talked about how you're trying to merge worlds, you know, when it comes to architecture and uh, paintings or design, because, you know, these things have been just 
given like their own box to live in. But but really when we can merge all of the art worlds together, right? Whether it be architecture, um, like you said, pottery, uh, painting, um, what have you, you know, that really just opens up things, you know, you know, in a space. For sure. And you know, it's funny that you touch base on something like that because my favorite artist is Lee Krasner. And she was a pioneer in the abstract expressionist movement uh, in, in New York during the 50s and 60s and onwards. And she is Jackson Pollock's wife. And um, Jackson Pollock, uh, if you ever actually really study him as an artist, he was a heavy drinker. He was very unfocused because he loved women and he liked being out and about. And he really wasn't able to actually hone in on his craft until he met Lee, who was just someone who understood his talent had an immense amount of talent herself, but knew also how to guide him and focus him in a way that actually really made his artwork what it is known to be today. Like she is a major influence, major mentor and teacher in his work while also being an incredible artist herself. And that, you know, they just had a major um, retrospective show for her here in London, the Barbican. And it was known as like one of like the most visited shows uh, in London that year, because finally everyone's like, oh, this is where he got quite a lot of his influence. And wow, she was actually a remarkable artist herself. And I mean, really, really beautiful, like just work that would blow your mind, but that was never given notoriety or any sort of recognition because, you know, she was married to the husband who was going to be the famous artist. And that's why I really do respect curators now who are unveiling those artists who have quite notoriously been known to be overshadowed by either their partners or just the male counterpart and things like and things like that. And I think really what's cool about today's contemporary curators like myself, we're so aware of it. And because of that, you really know now, like, no, it's not just about a husband and his work. It's very much so, you know, what what's going on in the background? Who what's what's she creating as well? What are their kids creating? What are their friends creating? Like you start to now really just open the box on all of it and understand that if there is talent there and it's no longer quieting any voice. Like I think everyone now has a, a very open soapbox kind of platform to be able to share their work, express it because of you know digital means, which has been really an exciting and really incredible thing to watch unfold over the last few years, really. That's amazing. And it's funny when you mentioned that, unfortunately, like even talking with Joseph Moorsman, that's something that was common too. He mentioned a few other women whose husband kind of like took credit for a style that they Probably it's basically invented themselves, but then they took it on. Yeah, so it's pretty true. Like they really like really created themselves first and then taught them point blank how to do it. And then they're like, oh, this is now, you know, my path. Wonderful. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Remarkable. There's quite a few too that you really once you start to delve deep into art history, you actually learn that there are quite so many powerhouse female artists. Uh, that really have been making substantial work since, you know, dawn of time, but they just never got the recognition for it. So I think that's something really cool that we're now really reversing, you know, the damage on that. But I think also now working with living artists today, we're making sure that we don't make that same mistake. You know, we're making sure now that, but, and that's why I sort of go back to the idea that, yes, I do represent primarily female artists, but I also don't want to 
now make that reverse mistake where we're focused only on female artists and now we're out, you know, like where the, there's also incredible, you know, male artists who are making very influential work as well. And so it's, it's a very um, delicate dance that you have to make sure that you're, you're fairly representing everyone across the board. That's just how it is. That's what art is. Like art is not about a you know, certain pedigree or any kind of like race, culture, or upbringing, none of that. Like that, I think that's the best part about curators now is everyone's sort of blown the hinges off of that. And now we're going to make sure that everyone has their voice and we're going to you know, represent it fairly along the lines, you know? So do you have any upcoming projects that you would like to let our audience know about or let them know where to find you online? Uh, well, because <laughs> we were talking about this before, uh, before we started recording, because uh, uh, Channing and Lee were asking me how, um, how it is working in, in London at the moment. And we have been on national lockdown for quite a few months now. So the thing about being in the UK during this time, we all know that this really incredible spring resurgence is going to happen. We all kind of hope it's going to be this really incredible, like avant-garde renaissance, like everyone's fingers crossed that it's going to be like come June, a whole new world that we're going to embark on. But uh, because of that, it makes it quite difficult to be able to plan anything in physical space just yet because um, so many things have to be put on hold and, and we're still waiting to figure out how you know, life's going to be post-lockdown. Um, but for me, at least, what's great is that I do have uh, half of our connection is in Miami. So definitely have a couple of physical shows, hopefully coming up towards the end of summer and early uh, autumn or fall in London, but then also planning on renting out an Airbnb and doing this really great, like, anti-establishment art exhibition during Basel in Miami as well. So <laughs> there's a couple of cool things while still working with... Um, yeah, a couple, uh, there's different uh, hotels and different kinds of businesses that we also work with on a commercial level through commissions and hope that we can get a few of those kind of really exciting projects rolling as well. Hopefully yeah. and work coming around. Fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, you can't take a Miami girl out of Miami, right? <laughs> Never. And you want to know, I'm so happy I went home for three months because honestly, before that, it was very much so me trying to fit into this mold of like, okay, I'm in London. So therefore I have to be like, you know, like I have to fit into the London art scene. I have to, and I really kind of kept realizing like, I just don't fit here. <laughs> like in the way that I am a bit more fragrant. Yeah. I've got to definitely have my Miami vibe about me. And when I went home, I really learned to hone in on that and be proud of where I'm from. And now I really do carry that here in London too, which if anything, hopefully gives an edge that we're here to stay and we're doing a good job at it, you know, like here to have a good time, but we're going to, you know, blaze a pathway as well. That might be a bit different than how they usually do it, but we'll see. <laughs> oh, well, well, cool. Well, we can't wait till the smoke clears up and maybe we can come out there in London and maybe have a, a nice little uh, coffee and chat uh, with you. Yeah. You know? Yeah, please yeah, do. But, but, a cup of tea, as they would, you know, a cup of tea and a biscuit yeah. that they like to do. But yeah, no, we could definitely have a good American cup of coffee as well. Make sure awesome, awesome. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so how can I audience uh, to be able to uh, find out more about some of the things that you're doing? To be honest, it's come right to me. Like, I'm the kind of person that I've never really liked to create this facade around Fount as though it's like an unattainable, like impersonal brand. You know, like, I never liked to create the business around this idea where it's like, yeah, email at info at Fount Art and, you know, find out more. It's like, my name's Kelly. You can find me at kelly at fountart.com. And I would love to personally connect with anyone 
who would just be interested to either learn more about what we're doing, what kind of artists we work with, what kind of projects we're aiming towards, what kind of initiatives within the community, both here in the UK and in the US. Uh, and anyone who wants to get on board and be a part of that, I just would love to personally, you know, personally be able to welcome them and into the community and get to know them and find a way that we can all work and learn more from each other, you know? Yeah, and we'll yeah. have all those links at the bottom in the show's notes. Cool. Well, 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 Kelly, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the show. You're not only just a lovely person, but, you know, a very talented individual. And it was so good hearing things from your perspective, you know, so thank you for for being yeah. on with us. Thank you for having a platform where you can share these kinds of things. It's been really awesome. Like it has been so cool to be a part of this, but at the same time, the work you guys are doing. It was really refreshing talking to Kelly. I really like how her business does not necessarily have a physical space right now, which isn't necessary because she is really putting a lot of effort to making buying art process very approachable, but also very real by taking her clients into the artist studio where they can meet the person behind the work and know the story behind some of the works that they love and may want to live with in their house. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I really appreciate about Kelly in this interview was how she mentioned how the architecture world has its own corner the interior design space has a particular corner and the art world itself is in an entirely different corner as well but I really love how Kelly is merging all of these industries in together and the impact that it's having on the people that actually acquire some of the pieces and again thank you so much for being with us here today and for some of you that have been asking what you can do to support the podcast whenever you subscribe and comment and also, when you share the information that you love with other people who you think will love it as well, that really helps the podcast out in a tremendous way. So thank you again for being here with us on Vessel Art as a Doorway. Doorway.